If you have a Bible with you, uh, would you please turn to Psalm 19? We'll be looking at Psalm 19 this morning. Uh, before we get started, I have these little postcards that um, I'll hand out to anyone who wants them. Um, just kind of like giving you an opportunity uh, to know more about our ministry, but also um, there's a matching gift that I have um, or that our ministry has uh, until July 14th, so just a few more days. Um, so this is an opportunity to be part of that, um, and it gives information about where to go for um, the matching gift. Um, and just a quick little um, update of how things are going, um, because you guys are a supporting church of RUF at UTSA. Um, one of the fun things that's happened really in the past six months is that um, our ministry has attracted a lot of students from all around the world. Um, and one of, the, one of the things that my wife and I did when we were in Florida is that we invited students to come and um, kind of make their food from the different cultures where they were from. Um, we had a lot of Caribbean students, and so we got to experience a lot of the Caribbean food when we were in Florida. Well, this uh, turned into something uh, at UTSA where we realized uh, by June we had had food from five different continents. Um, and so uh, it started with Italian food because my wife and her sister who lives down the street from us made Italian food and then it blossomed into different types of food. And so, uh, so it's been a real treat to get to eat uh, from, you know, Nigerian food, Chinese food, Brazilian, Salvadoran, uh, Mexican, Cuban, um, Italian again. So uh, anyway, so that, that's been a real joy. But more than that, just to get to interact and engage with students, some of whom are Christians uh, who come from these different parts of the world and some of whom have never uh, heard about Jesus and are in our home and getting to spend some time with my family and getting to know a little bit about Christianity. So uh, continue to pray for our ministry. I didn't think that I would be doing an international ministry at UTSA um, because of just the demographics of the school, but the Lord has been really kind to kind of open that door uh, for us. So um, pray for us. Uh, school for, for us starts uh, August the 21st. So if you think of that, so if you like dates, um, be thinking of that. So Psalm 19, I'm going to go ahead and read all of this uh, to you, just so we get a sense of this entire psalm that David is singing here. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? 
Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, um, would you, as our great redeemer, speak to us, prepare us now uh, to hear your words. Um, We pray that you would be glorified in all that is done here. Um, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So one of the things that I have noticed in uh, doing campus ministry for almost 10 years is that it is really difficult for students to get this idea of the bigness of God wrapped around their heads uh, when you consider the world that they live in. Uh, Many students also live in pretty small you could say bubbles, um, where they experience just a few people, and many people have even the same uh, mindset of what, of of how the world is and how things should be. Uh, And every middle of May, I get to gather with about a thousand other students um, at Laguna Beach Christian Retreat Center in Panama City Beach, Florida. Uh, It's a real treat. It's a lot of fun. Uh, This year, we took eight students from UTSA, uh, which was amazing and really enjoyable. And uh, one of the fun things about that is getting to interact with students from all sorts of backgrounds, from many different places, a lot of students from the East Coast. Um, And so one one night I was talking with a group of students who are all from different um, parts of the country, different campuses, and one of the students just asked, how can we truly know God if it's just through the Bible? kind of referring to a seminar the student had gone to, which talked about sola scriptura, this idea that it is only through the scriptures and not traditions or nature or other things that we really know who God is. And, and her, her thing was like, the Bible surely isn't enough. I mean, look at this beautiful shoreline. Like, you can experience something about God here, right here too. And I do it on mountaintops. And so, since we were in a smaller group, I asked individuals around there, I said, what do you experience when you, when you look at the shoreline? And there were a variety of, of answers. One person said, it scares me. I'm actually not going to go in the salt water at all this week because it frightens me to, to think of what could be there. Uh, for one student, there were, there were great memories of, uh, of a bygone era whenever family was gathered together. So it had kind of a wonderful thought, but also kind of sad because um, this student had known some people that were gone. And so what I kind of helped these students see was that we have a variety of experiences and there's nothing that is concrete about what we can experience here. And so we can't just know God in nature, Right? We actually need something that, who, that, that tells us who this God is, why he's good, why he is worthy of our worship. And that is why something like the Apostles' Creed is so necessary. We didn't um, go through it today. There wasn't a confession uh, of our faith, but the Apostles' Creed is something that Christians all around the world confess. Uh, and something that has, has been confessed for at least 1,800 years, but most likely for probably around 2,000 years, ever since the apostles 
uh, went out and did ministry for us to understand just a very concrete way of knowing who God is, of knowing what Christianity is. And what's amazing about the Apostles' Creed, because I've been doing a lot of reading on it this summer, is that it details the Trinity in ways that, they, that we can actually understand. Who God the Father is, who God the Son is as our Redeemer, who the Spirit is, and all of the actions of Him. And so when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, which is the very beginning of the Apostles' Creed, we are saying something vitally important to the modern ear. And it's this, that we can actually know who this God is, who this God is, and that He is our Father, and that He is, is very strong and almighty, that He is the ruler and sustainer of all things, that He is actually a Father to us, and that He is a, the ruler and sustainer of all things. So those are the two aspects of God that we're going to talk about, God in the first person that we're going to talk about today. So God the Father is the first one. And if we could zoom to Rome in Italy today, we could get a sense of what was at play for the ancient Christians. What was at play for, for the number of people who were at the center of Rome to actually go around and see that uh, there, there was this dominating factor there. If we were actually to go into the Roman Forum, you would get this sense that the emperor was the center of everything, and there were places where you could worship all around it. There are little temples that are, are ruins, essentially, right now. Um, and then if you take a little trip away, you could even see the Colosseum, where Christians, uh, Christians were slaughtered and made into a, a bit of a sport. What's amazing is that the Catholic Church actually uh, took over the Colosseum, and now there are even church services that happen there. Um, but, but even more important than, than that is the idea of what the family structure was like in Rome in these days. And not just Rome, but the entire Roman Empire um, really was centered on who the father was. And uh, there's a historian, his name is Justo Gonzalez, and he calls it the pater familias. And, and it's a specific um, Latin word that speaks to the person that was at the very top of the familial structure in the Roman Empire in those days. And th this person at the top was a male, always. Uh, and he, had, he, he essentially was the arbiter and the ruler of all things. He was the one who freed people whenever uh, it was time for them to be emancipated, uh, if you had slaves or if you had someone who was part of your family. Again, the modern conceptions of patriarchy don't even touch this because it goes so deep into the identity of people. In fact, uh, Andy Crouch, he talks about it um, in this book called The Life We're Looking For, that people would have even been known by their birth order. So the firstborn would have had a name, and then the secondborn would have been named second. The thirdborn would be named third. And you can just imagine how many seconds and thirds there would have, would have been around. But they, they were essentially minimized to how they didn't add up. And so you had this sense of even when you were born, you knew that either you were going to be at the top of the pyramid or somewhere else. And so you were completely dependent on the father and the father figure. And oftentimes, they weren't great. 
And so Psalm 19, particularly in verses 1 through 4, draws out this idea of a father in a different kind of way. And it shows that God's glory is poured out, that his knowledge is revealed. To read it again, the heavens declare the glory of God. I want you to hear it as though the heavens are crying out, are rejoicing in the glory of God. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And then we hear this, in them he has set a tent for the Son. So God, as this Father, distributes knowledge, distributes wisdom, gives us and shows us how great and how good he is, but he also is kind to us in providing a tent of protection. Um, going back to what Justo Gonzalez says, he says that there's even a subversive nature in, in declaring that God is our Father in the creed. He says that though a lot of these fathers were not the kindest nor the most protective parents, there's a ton of evidence uh, from, from a lot of historians as well as Christian writers that if, if a child was born with any kind of deformity or was even difficult, they would just be put out, put out of the house, ready to die. And there would be Christians who would walk around the streets, pick up babies, and the church was really born out of these unwanted people. And so can you imagine growing up knowing that your father has abandoned you? I mean, literally abandoned you. And then having to declare at the very beginning of the creed, I believe in God the Father. But what he says is that the subversive nature of it is that the fatherliness of God is so much, so much better than the fatherliness of any human being possible. At the same time, the fatherliness or even the, the parenting, the parentalness of, of any of us who are parents ourselves or who serve in roles as an uncle or an aunt in ways where we have parental uh, type roles, that we are actually encouraged to be better parents because of what God has done, that we actually have a great and a, an, an amazing example, the perfect example for us. And in this too, the, the subversive nature of it is that even the person that is at the top of that pyramid, that is head over the family, that they are a child of God. And all of us, whether you're two days old or you're 90 years old or even older than that, you are a child of this good God. You don't run out of being his child. We are longing to hear from him, to be loved by him, to be cared by him. It is just the ultimate beautiful thing is that we don't have to act or participate in any kind of different way, that we can simply just be God's children and be loved by him and continue to be, uh, continue to look at him as our father. And so God longs to be with us as a good father would long to be with us. The second thing is God is almighty, right? That he rules and that he reigns over all things. And I love the second uh, aspect of, of God's almighty reign in our lives. And I, I want us to actually think of it in a personal way. 
Because I think when we think of his reign and his rule, we can think of it as like him, you know, keeping the, the sky together and keeping the earth, you know, continuing on its axis. And it just feels like it's so far away from us. These are things that we don't experience. But I want you to hear in verses 7 and 8 just the personalness of how God is almighty in your own life. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Reviving the soul, making wise the simple, rejoicing the heart, enlightening the eyes. I love that we can hear that the Lord in his power relates to us so that we can see him. Again, his, his power is this almighty, is this masterful work that has been done on our behalf, but are things that we can experience right now or things that we have experienced in the past so that we can be convinced of the work that God has done, that Christ has done on our behalf. And one of the gifts of my work is that I get to see this intimately with students, sitting with them. Um, I could, could go through story after story of hearing students who, for the first time, have read the Scripture and really understand it, uh, were convicted of their sin, realized that they needed to turn from their sin and follow God. One of my favorite things to do, particularly with freshman students, is to, on a one-on-one basis, read through the Gospel of Mark. And this, this uh, semester in particular, I got together with a student who had had a really rough um, like high school years, had just become a Christian, and was beginning to see Jesus in ways that he had never seen before. So seeing that enlightenment that, that happened to him, it, it's not just something that's, uh, that, that is foreign to us. It still happens today, which is part of the goodness of God. And more than just the satisfaction of being there in the presence of the students, I'm reminded of something that we say all the time in RUF, and you've probably heard Derek say this too, that God is at work. And this simple statement is that my call to the campus, our call to be in our neighborhoods, is simply to be faithful and to show the goodness of Jesus to people. And and, and then at times to just see God work in and through them to be a faithful participant of the story that God is writing in their life. An example from about a week and a half ago, my family and I go to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania uh, for the 4th of July every year. And 10 of us went to a Pirates game, Pittsburgh Pirates game. This is on June 30th. And it's probably the first memory of going to a professional game that two of my kids will have. So it's really special uh, in my mind. And it was a really intense game. It went down to the very final batter. And my niece looks at me in this panicked look. Uh, She's nine. And she said, oh my gosh, Uncle Lee, we're going to lose. This is horrible. This is terrible. And I told her, I said, Blondie, because that's what I call her. That's not actually her name. I said, your job right now is to cheer right? Because as a fan, that's all you can do. Your job is to cheer, to stand up, and to cheer for this guy, Carlos Santana. And like clockwork, two seconds later, I kid you not, he hits a home run to win the game. 
Now that doesn't always happen, right? Um, you, we're, we're often in, uh, in games or going to things where you don't get to experience uh, really amazing highs like that. And you don't have this impeccable timing to, to know. Of course, I didn't know that there was going to be a walk-off home run to win this game and us cheering around. But we truly are, um, as God's people, called to be faithful because there's nothing that we can do to show the almightiness of God. And, and honestly, even with the, with the fatherliness of God, we are often going to fail. Fail our friends, fail our family in showing what it means to be a good God. And so what we have to do is we have to lean on what God's Word says. We have to hear this psalm and to know that the law of the Lord is perfect and I'm not. And that it has the ability to revive the soul. That, that God's creation will speak of his name, and I often will not be able to in the best ways. I love what verse 12 says here, who can discern his errors? It's as though David is just throwing up his hands. God cannot be, he, he, he does not fail. He does not do the wrong thing. It is he and he alone that does the good work. And so the prayer to, to you, the prayer for myself, is from verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. And I urge you guys to have this as something that is central to you. Oftentimes, I only hear those words, and I only say those words whenever I'm about to get up to preach. But these words are so necessary for all of us. Uh, in fact, they're, they're good words to memorize because these are, these are things that we ought to live by day by day. It is not something that just comes out on a Sunday morning or when I need help, but uh, may the words in my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight is something over and over that we need to meditate on and continue to say to one another and continue to say to ourselves and continue to pray to our Lord. And so how now should we live? I just want to give you two things and a third. Uh, so, the, so the three things that I would say is that we are comforted by a big God who loves us and longs to protect his children. May you be comforted knowing that this God loves you, that he longs uh, to, to be near to you too. Again, in these words that we hear from Psalm 19, he is not distant. He is not away. We don't have to climb up to him. He wants to comfort us. Again, this is why he is our father. May we be joyful as well. We heard um, in, the, in the assurance of grace, the joy that God has in Zephaniah chapter 3. And, and I want you to hear what David in another part of the scripture, how he is joyful. This is from 2 Samuel chapter 6. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. And you know what happened in that? 
And, and this is what we ought to expect, is when we're joyful in the Lord, that not everyone's going to think that it's that great. That some people are going to think that it's weird. And in fact, his wife, Michael, thinks that he is estranged for doing it. Verse 20, it says this, When David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came to meet him. She said in disgust, How distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and his family. He appointed me as a leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. Our hope is not in what other people think. Um, and, and we are really freed to be joyful to the Lord and what he has done and in who he is. So I would just encourage you not to find fake joy and not to be silly just to be silly, um, but to even be willing to, to stretch yourself to be out of control because you are joyful of what the Lord has done and of how he has changed your heart. And the last thing is that by hearing the God the Father Almighty, we are hopeful of the coming King. That this is not the end of the story is for us to just feel good about ourselves and to know these things and to expect Him to do, uh, to do changed work in people's hearts, but also that the kingdom is coming. That the, the Christian story has a hopeful end where the Almighty God will reign in his fatherly pl- and His fatherly presence will actually flood the whole earth, that we will be comforted, that we will be joyful, that there will be no shame in any of that. And friends, that we actually have the best hope available, that even if things are difficult, if things are confusing in your world right now, that you have a hope that you are longing for in Jesus, knowing that it is so much better, that that glory is so much better than what you are experiencing right now. And so be comforted, be hopeful, be joyful in the Lord today. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for um, our time this morning. Thank you for giving us your word and encouraging us um, to see you and seek your face. Um, Father, would we, um, w- would we long to know your fatherly presence more? Uh, Would we long to even see the ways that you are at work in our hearts, in the hearts of others? And um, Lord, would we dance for joy knowing that it is good work? Um, We pray, Lord, for those who don't know you, for those who are confused by the gospel message, that they would run to you knowing that, um, that, that it is free grace that you give. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.